Good morning, everyone. I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture for today. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation, you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There is also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. All right. Question. Can somebody close this door right there? Joe, can you get that? All right, so in Luke chapter 2, if you want to follow along, Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse uh, 21. Luke 20, uh, 2, 21. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. All right, so hold on. Let me put my notes up. So I'm going to start this with a quote from the great theologian, Shylin. Anybody heard of Shylin? All right. Well, Shaolin is a, is a Christian uh, rap artist. A little story. You know, when I, was, uh, when, when I didn't know the Lord and my sister wanted me to know the Lord, uh, she would send me Christian rap CDs. And in my heart, I would have the biggest eye roll you can imagine. I probably didn't do it with my face because my sister's a gangster. But in my heart, <laughs> I was like, why are you giving me this? I want this. But but goes to show, look, don't give up on people, all right? The Lord can can grab somebody's soul and, and make them pay attention. But anyway, what Shylin said, all right, listen, you listen. It's a little poetry. It says, Jesus, there's nothing greater God could give for us, but before he gave his life, he lived for us. It's one of salvation's massive ingredients, the Lord Jesus Christ and his active obedience. 
All right, we're going to break that down a little bit. But what he's saying is when we think about the gospel, primarily you think about the death of Christ on the cross, which is right. But he's saying there's some other ingredient that Christ has done for us that contributes to our salvation. And it's his 33 years of obedience to the law. His 33 years of never sinning. His 33 years of always saying no to temptation. That that is a central ingredient to our salvation. And we're going to dig into that today. In other words, Christ's humanity and obedience is good news for all people. Let's pray. Father, would you reveal your word to us this morning? Lord, we need a word from your word from heaven. Lord, I pray uh, that your, your spirit would, would, would fall on us and that we would seek to walk in obedience to what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to learn some, some theological terms, so repeat after me. Active, active. obedience. obedience. All right, let's, let's, let's talk about this. What, what is this talking about? It's, it's Christ's obedience to the law of God and thought, word, and deed from the moment of his conception through the end of his early life. What it's saying is, is Christ was obedient from the moment that he took on flesh to the moment that he said, it is finished. See, this is crazy. Christ obeyed God from conception to be a fitting sacrifice. Now listen, have you ever gotten a bad re-gift? You ever got a gift that you knew somebody, they like, you ain't even picked this out for me. Like, so you got this, you gave it on to me. Now, you, you know, depending on how, how uh, strong your feelings are, you might feel kind of hurt about that, right? Because the quality of the present shows the honor of the recipient, right? If you think really hard and you put a lot of work into what you're going to give, it shows that you value the one whom you give. And listen, listen, a sacrifice of quality for our sins and a sacrifice that's fitting to the honor of God's glory was necessary. In other words, in other words, God in Christ did this through perfect preparation. Listen, when, look, it wasn't just any old person down on the cross. Listen, I, I love y'all, but I want you to understand, if I died on the cross, it wouldn't do nothing for you. Because my life isn't perfect. I haven't been sinless. It's not a fitting sacrifice. However, if there was one who lived perfectly in obedience, his sacrifice would be effective for our salvation. Listen, Christ obeyed the law from conception for something called imputation. I know we're going to do a little doctrine, say imputation. What it means is God credits Christ's righteousness to us and it becomes ours. I don't know if you've ever taken a test and you didn't study and you probably didn't go too well. Right now, listen, if, if, if life is a test and uh, the answers are sinlessness, guess what? We fail. We all fail. But listen, in this doctrine, we see that Christ Jesus took the test of life for us and he got a hundred. He had perfection. And when we look at verse 21, we can see that Christ fulfilled the law of God for us from infancy. Look at verse 21. It says, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus. 
the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Some of y'all are like, what? what is going on? We're going to explain it. We're going to explain it. Now, what, out of all the things that could have noted, why does it note the circumcision of Jesus? If it's in the scripture, it's important, yeah? Second Timothy says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for us. Listen, it shows that he was a faithful Israelite. Circumcision was a, was a sign given to the Jewish people. And it was an indicator that you had a plan to fulfill the law, that you had a plan to try to fulfill the law. It's, it's a sign that you were separated from the world and you belong to God. It was a, a physical sign that you would not forget. I am not my own, but I actually belong to another. And Galatians 5.3, Paul says, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. It's the beginning of law keeping. You know, the, the Old Testament is full of laws. And this is the idea that if I am going to love God, it is demonstrated by my obedience to the law. And the fact that Christ was circumcised is a sign that he will fulfill all the requirements of the law. Not only that, it shows his willingness to endure pain for our salvation. Listen, listen, before the word became flesh, there was no pain in heaven. There was no hardship. But from the beginning, his life demonstrates that he is willing to shed his own blood for us. This idea of active obedience, that he was obedient from the start. And then it says Christ Jesus was presented to the Lord at the temple. Now, it's talking about this idea of a sacrifice. Like they went to the temple and Mary and Joseph made this sacrifice. See, God commanded the Israelites to sacrifice when they had a firstborn child in recognition that all their children actually belonged to the Lord. It's this idea of stewardship. For instance, when, when God talks about money, he says that you give a portion to him. Why? Because it all belongs to him. You give an apportion is, is indicating that you, you are saying all of what I have belongs to him. The same thing would be with time. Why, why have Christians for 2,000 years got up on Sunday morning and went to church? All time belongs to him, but we, sat, we sanctify a particular portion of that time to demonstrate, hey, we're, sa we're saying that actually by dedicating this time to you, all of our time belongs to you. So from the get-go, this is Jesus Christ. Fulfilling the law on our behalf. And it has this, this interesting anecdote. It says that Mary offered turtle doves. What does that have to do with anything? See, the law stated that you would offer a sacrifice when you had a child. But it kind of gave some uh, different options. Like if you were well-to-do, you know, you would sacrifice a bigger animal. If you didn't have a lot of money, you would sacrifice a smaller one. This indicates that Mary and Joseph and the family of Jesus, that they were poor. They didn't have means. What this means is that Christ has sympathy for those who are struggling financially. He has sympathy for those who are struggling 
materially. Listen, listen, if you're struggling, you would like to talk to somebody who knows what, you, what, you, what you're going through. And we have evidence from the text that Jesus Christ understands what it's like to not have two pennies to put together. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he obeyed God in the midst of his poverty. Listen, in America, we often assume that people are struggling financially primarily because of bad choices or, or bad morality. That, that's kind of the assumption that we have. We just assume that. But the scriptures teach that the amount of money one has is not a predictor of their character. In the scripture, you can be rich and bad. Yeah? Pharaoh, he had everything. He did not listen. In the scripture, you can be poor and good. As example by Jesus Christ. And we see that through hard circumstances, growing up in poverty, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for us. In verse 25, we see that, that God reveals Christ to those who seek him. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. So it has this, this man named Simeon who the descriptor of his life is that he was righteous and devout. That he had a track record of seeking the Lord. And, and it kind of gives you, uh, the scriptures gives you some central ingredients of what that looks like. You know, when we, when we first start discipling folks, like after you accept Jesus and you're like, what am I supposed to do? What does my life look like? We often tell them something called the disciples cross. And you have the, the, the vertical line, which is, which is scriptures and prayer. And you have the horizontal line, which is worshiping with God's people and serving others. When the scripture says that he was righteous and devout, it's saying that he did these things. And that he was not only concerned about his own life, it says that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. That he was concerned about Israel as a nation. That he was concerned about God's grand plan. Not just about his own life. Not just about what he wanted to pray for. He actually searched the scriptures and said, God, what are you doing? What do you want to see? And that is what's going to concern me. We can see this in, in King's, King David's example when he, when he builds uh, uh, this palace and he's, he's living in luxury and he prays. He says, Lord, it's not right for me to live in luxury without me being considerate of you. Can I build a house for you? Who, who, who is concerned about God's plan, not just our own personal things? What's wonderful is that God led Simeon to see the glory of Christ. Listen, listen, he was seeking God. He was concerned about God's grand plan, not just his own personal thing. And God in his grace showed him his glory. Look, we see that God, God is revealing the grand scope of Christ's ministry to him. In verse 28, it says, Simeon took him up in his arms. This is the baby Jesus. Took him up in his arms, praised God and said, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own heart, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There is a lot of truth packed into these passages, but, but it starts with him holding Christ Jesus and saying that he has seen salvation, that the salvation that has been promised has come in the flesh to save us. Beloved, our salvation is the person of Christ, that when we see Christ with the eyes of faith, we are looking at our salvation. When we ponder all that Christ has done for us, we are seeing our salvation. And he unpacks packs it a little more. He says that Christ is going to reveal the glory of God to all people. He says he's going to reveal the glory to the Gentiles. It's going to be a, a, a light for Israel. What he's saying is that all peoples, all nations, all colors, everybody is going to be blessed by what Christ has done. Everybody is going to be blessed by what Christ has done. And nonetheless, Christ would have a mixed reaction. That he will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel. You know, if you read the life of Christ, crowds gathered around him and crowds deserted him. He was celebrated and he was mocked. The same is true today. That this one who would be the cause of salvation would cause great joy in some and others would reject it. And he says this interesting thing to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul. What is he talking about? Now, all you mothers out there, if your child gets hurt, do you feel it? Yeah. You're like, oh, my goodness. He's, listen, listen. He's talking about the sufferings of Christ through the eyes of Mary, that though he is salvation in the flesh, though he will offer forgiveness to all people, regardless of where they are from, he would be a suffering Savior. And one of the songs we sing, the, the lyrics says, Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man and the wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Listen, when we see Christ, when we see his suffering, we can understand that though he experienced sorrow, that was for our joy. We can see God continuing to reveal Christ to people. Look at verse 36, it says, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of uh, Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, in the scriptures, and not in the scriptures, but in the day and the time of the scriptures, women weren't honored. Women were not valued as they should be. And we see God from the get-go showing that Christ is revealed not just to men, but to women. That he doesn't just save one gender, but he saves both. And we see that in Anna, we see a woman who was devoted to God. Though she could have been bitter, right? She could have like, been married a couple years and then losing. She could have been bitter, but she dedicated her whole life to serving and worshiping God. She was devoted to, to prayer, and she saw the redemption of Christ. And not only this, it said that she proclaimed Christ. That when you see the glory of Jesus, 
that the overflow of that is proclaiming what you have seen. And then in verse 39, we see that Christ grew to fulfill his mission. 39, it says, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and to their own town, Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. I count at least three times in this passage that he says, it says that they did something to complete the law of the Lord or according to the law of the Lord. Listen, this is showing us the obedience of Christ over and over again so they would not get it twisted that from the moment he came, he was obedient to God, this active obedience. And the other thing that's so mystery, that's mysterious is that Christ actually grew up. Think about this. The infinite God became flesh. The all-powerful one became strong. The all-knowing one gained wisdom. We see in this, this mysterious thing that the God of all creation, who has no limitations, limited himself for our salvation. <coughs> Christ grew up sinless. He is the fitting sacrifice. He did the work of saying no to sin during childhood. He, said, he did the work of saying no to sin as an adolescent. He did the work of saying no to sin as an adult. That each moment of his life, he lived alive to God and obedient to his direction. And the scriptures say that his obedience is applied to us. You know, when I, when I look at, you know, certain parts of my life, I have to hang my head with shame. I, there's, cert, there's certain moments that I'm like, why did I do that? That was so foolish. I'm sure we all have certain moments of shame that just kind of periodically come into our heads. When I was this age or that age, and when I was at this place or that place, we have all these times where we can look back on these different periods of our life and say, oh man, I have such regret. But listen, you may be ashamed of certain aspects of your life, but what Christ has done has covered it. You may have failed as a child, but Christ didn't. You may have failed when you became an adult, but Christ didn't. Listen, every single moment of failure in your life, if you trust in Christ, it is covered by what he has done. It is, as, it is it's like this. In that moment where you made that bad decision, when you trust in Christ, is as, as if Christ was in that situation and he made the right one. That, like, that's how God looks at us. Not, not full of our sin, not with this track record of wrong, but with a track record of Christ Jesus. His righteousness is applied to us. That means that you can go to God with zero shame. If I had to come with my own life, I'd be ashamed. If I had to come with the list of my wrongs, I'd be ashamed. But when I come, I get to present a life that is not mine, but that is holy, 100% righteous. And God looks on me as if I live the life of Christ. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. And the reality is this. The good news of the gospel is not always clear to our hearts, is it? Listen, the riches of the gospel are always true, but they're not always felt. Listen, do you feel forgiven every day? There's probably sometimes you're like, I don't know. Sometimes you feel shame. Sometimes you feel these, these different things. And the reality is that the riches of the gospel are always true, but we do not always feel them. Think about this. In the story that we just covered, Christ would have done all the steps of obedience in the temple 
whether Simeon and Anna saw it or not, whether they were aware, whether the Spirit brought him there, Christ would have done that. But God in his grace revealed the truth to their hearts. See, listen, what Christ has accomplished for us is true whether we believe it or not. But in his grace, God can increasingly reveal these things to our hearts. Listen, there are so many times when I, when, before I came to the Lord where I heard words about Christ and they just fell on deaf ears. When I heard about, about things that should have made me weep and repent, I was stoic and hard. But listen, there was one day when the truths of the gospel hit me. The truths didn't change, but something happened to my heart. The information wasn't new, but God allowed me to understand. You know, a couple weeks I was, um, I was praying for the church, and the, and the Lord put some particular scriptures on my heart to pray for our church. One of them is in Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1.17, it's a prayer. It says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, look, here's the interesting thing. Paul just prayed that they would know God by the Spirit. Now, if you read Paul's letters, he's telling them about God all the time, right? He just prayed that they would understand the hope of heaven. If you read these letters, he's saying these things all the time. He just prayed that they would understand God's power at work in them. But he has been saying these things. Why could he not rely simply on the fact that he told them? Why does he have to pray that they would know the things that he told them already? Beloved, because we need divine revelation. We need the Spirit to open our hearts to truly perceive the truths and the text. And listen, he is praying this prayer for Christians. He's saying, those who trust in Christ, I, like, they need help to know God. Those who trust in Christ, they need help to see the hope that is coming to them. Those who trust in Christ, they need help to see the power at work in them. This is a call for us to say, Lord, I, I know your word in my, heart, in my head. I, I know some of the things you said in my mind, but, but Lord, I need you to, to, to make them sink down deep so that I would know them, not like I know the facts on a page, but like I know a person. I need to know them experientially. And this is a call for, for praying the scriptures. I don't, have you ever read the scripture? Like you might've read it already, but you read it and then one day something sticks out to you. It's a scripture you'd have read, but you're like, dog, that was there, but I, I didn't see it. But now I'll read it and it's there. Listen, listen, we need God's grace to understand all the benefits of what Christ has given to us, which means that we have to pray the scriptures, that we have to linger over the text. Listen, listen, God's scripture, this is a means of God's presence with you. And so we read the scriptures and just like Simeon and just like Anna, we're like, Lord, Lord, help me to see. Help me to see your salvation in this thing. Help me to see all that you have, have purchased for me in the words of your text. That's one of the reasons why scripture reading is so important. Listen, I want you to know up here, right? 
But even more, I want you to know it here. That's why we have that, that, that Bible reading plan, the CBR journal. We want to put scripture in front of our face all the time, not just so that we can answer your questions on the test, but with the hope that, the, that God who wrote the scriptures would make the scriptures alive in our hearts. So listen, here's the truth. The truth is this, that, that Christ has done so much for us, yet we need his help to perceive it to cling to it, to feel the benefits of it. And so I want you to join me in praying that, that we would see how Christ fully took care of our salvation and that we would rest in his accomplishments. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you obeyed the law perfectly time and time again in various situations, Lord. You prepared yourself to be a fitting sacrifice by your obedience. Lord, I pray that we would not look to our own works, our own uh, track record, or our, 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 our own uh, ability, but that we would look to you to see that you have taken care of us completely. There's nothing you have missed. There's no aspect of our salvation in which you dropped the ball. But you accomplished it fully. So help our hearts to believe that. Help us to entrust ourselves to you. And Lord, I also pray that those around us who might have heard the words of the gospel, but their hearts are dead to the truth. Would you make their hearts alive? Would the words of the gospel come alive in the hearts of those around us? Lord, we can't make this happen, but you can. Just like you've done for us. So Lord, please show your power in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.